1: Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone. Uh, you guys probably already know that if you're listening, but, you know, I like to be formal with this. Joining me right now is the one, the only, the young gun. That's what I'm calling you now, Zach. Zachary Blostein. Zach? What's going on? Not too much. Thanks for, for doing this. It's is kind of like a pop-up podcast that we're doing here for a little reaction. A little reaction to the Trey Benson commitment that just happened uh, yesterday afternoon, so slightly delayed. But, um... But, yeah, so FSU got a commitment from Oregon transfer Trey Benson. He was at Florida State this weekend that Zach had initially reported on a visit. If all went well during that visit, and Zach will get into what all went well meant because it's not just the visit. There's other things going on as well within the visit. uh, He was not going to leave Tallahassee, and and that's kind of where we're at now. He's committed. He's expected to enroll at FSU for the spring semester, and, and FSU has an extra running back on the roster this spring. So Zach, if you can get us going here on, on Trey Benson and I guess what, what happened with this recruitment, it seemed to develop pretty quickly and how it all ended with, with him committing today or yesterday, excuse me, magic of editing
2: uh, to Florida state. Yeah. Well, I think uh, with Trey Benson, first entering the portal was about a week ago um, or so we kind of knew that Florida state would be a a top option for him uh, if, and when he did enter the portal Um, there was no tampering involved or anything, but you know, Benson uh, was kind of communicating with like a guy like Micah Pittman, his former teammate that's allowed like peer-to-peer recruiting is allowed uh, in the portal. Obviously FSU can't encourage it, which they didn't, but uh, you know, there was some kind of communication there and FSU kind of got wind of it. Um, And that's how, you know, The initial contact came to be once Benson was officially in the portal. I think it was January 12th. Um, You know, immediately from the start, I think FSU was the spot that um, I was, you know, most confident that he was headed to. Uh, Didn't know of the visit until like a little bit before it actually happened on Monday. And we I reported it almost 24 seven. Um, But yeah, that week it was it was all FSU. Um, I didn't really hear anything about any other school. Um, But yeah, it was a quick process. One that, you know, I thought was actually going to wrap up uh, earlier than it did. But FSU wanted to get him on campus, like you said, um, and kind of evaluate him in person before they actually accepted his commitment.
1: So let's get into that in a minute, what the evaluation in person was, because Trey Benson isn't your standard transfer group. Everyone's in the transfer portal for a reason. uh, And Trey Benson... Has some baggage. By that I mean it's physical baggage. He had a pretty grueling knee injury in 2020. His uh, ACL and multiple other uh, ligaments and whatnot that were damaged uh, during that injury. So uh, that's what we're going to get into here. But real quick, I didn't do a good job of setting this up. We mentioned he's an Oregon running back transfer. He's from the state of Mississippi. Someone who was a fast riser in the 2020 cycle. And now he finished 375th overall nationally. But his offer list was pretty like rapid during the spring going into his senior year. Uh, Memphis was the first school to offer him, which is noteworthy. Um, they offered him be- before Mike Marvel was at Florida State. Uh, but then that spring going into his senior year, so in 2019, he got offers from Florida State's previous staff. He got offer from Oregon, obviously, Penn State, Notre Dame, UNC, Louisville. Uh, there's one or two more you know, pretty good Power 5 programs that are missing there. So some of the good offer lists. Some of that was kind of considered a fast riser with a lot of upside coming out of high school, but he gets to Oregon, doesn't play a ton his freshman year and ends up suffering the knee injury. So, so Zach, take us to, to the knee injury and I guess why that was an important thing for FSU to vet uh, this, this long weekend.
2: Yeah, well, that was definitely like the hindrance of this recruitment for sure. I, I mean, our boards are exploding about it. Everyone's kind of talking about it. Um, so I guess we'll address it like Florida State's definitely aware of it. Um, you know, they were aware of it before. You know, taking Trey Benson, uh, you know, his commitment. I, I'm told that FSU uh, is optimistic about, you know, what Trey Benson can bring to them in the future and how his knee can hold up. Um, I was told that his knee injury, uh, the specifics of it, basically he tore, you know, a bunch of the ligaments, ACL, MCL, I think his hamstring even too, or part of it. Um, and but I was told that there was no artery damage or nerve damage, which is something that we saw in an injury like Keyshawn Helton um, that he had, I think it was what, last year?
1: Uh, two years ago two, two years ago Clemson.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Where he's carved off the field and it was really bad. Um, that that wasn't the case with Trey Benson. I'm told that FSU was in communication with Oregon's uh, I believe training staff or someone over there, and they got some pretty positive reviews of of how Uh, Trey Benson um, was performing at post-injury. And I think to note is like, this isn't something where he's still, I mean, he's, you know, that's a serious injury, regardless of, you know, whether it was whatever damage or not, Um, that's a pretty serious injury, probably like an 18-month full recovery. But this happened in his freshman season, which would have been in 2020. Um, You know, we're, we're getting to the point where he's, probably pretty close to 100% of his ability. He was cleared to play for Oregon for their first game of the season. Um obviously in a little bit of a limited capacity, but throughout the season he was he was able to go. Um so it's not something where he was he wasn't able to play this past season. You know, take that for what you will. He didn't get much burn. Um obviously Oregon has other backs on their roster that are pretty talented. Travis Dye to be uh specific, uh, you know, all Pac-12 honorable mention running back with over a thousand yards. So
1: yeah, the running back FSU should be going after according to people on Twitter.
2: We'll get into your buyer syndrome later, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the detail behind this FSU got him in on the visit. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the pre uh, you know, conceived notion of his, uh, his leg injury um, from, from his days at Oregon.
1: So, yeah, the, the knee injury was in 2020, and he played in the 2021 season. You no, know, So people are, are – and I get the concern, man. Like I do. Like people just saw McKenzie Milton not be 100% at times throughout this year. Uh, Brandon Moore came to, to FSU from UCF with a similar knee injury and was never 100% during, during his brief time at Florida State. So I get it, but the fact you're saying there's no nerve damage, no artery damage, reason for optimism – and if you watch his limited film as a as a redshirt freshman at Oregon this past year, like, yeah, he, he's moving a little clunky with that knee brace on. But again, it's a year removed from the injury. He's someone who played, I think, in almost 10 games as a special teams player. I'm uh, pulling up the PFF now. Yeah, he was in upwards of 60 snaps on special teams, decent grades on special teams, too. So someone who played uh, you know, more games than not this season, a year removed from the injury, I think, is – is positive. Remember Jay Sean Corbin, his first year at FSU wasn't hundred percent coming off of a really bad hamstring injury. And then we saw what you know, be a year and a half to two years removed from it could be. So it's just something to be mindful of is that this is a developmental take for FSU. He's not a complete prospect yet. It doesn't sound like he's damaged goods yet either, which I think is it, it, something that the, the fan base collectively should kind of take some inventory on. So let's get into this, Zach, a little buyer, Sonone, uh, Given FSU's running back room, they lose Ja'Sean Corbin early to the NFL draft. Someone who apparently had a draft, a, a go draft grade. So that's good for him. That's good for FSU if that ends up happening. That'd be five running backs since 2019 that Mike Norvell would have put into the NFL uh, NFL draft specifically. So that's pretty good on the resume there. Uh, byers Sinone, Trey Benson uh, being a take at Florida State. Do you like it?
2: I mean, I'm sticking with what I said last episode. I'm I'm Soning it.
1: Okay. Uh I'm will elaborate. I'm with you as well. I'm sononing it as well. I don't like the take. Uh, I will say I don't hate it, Zach. Like I I understand or right, well, you get into it, explain, you know, now that the dust has settled and you've gotten more information since our past uh on the bench episode, what specifically uh you've learned and and why you're sononing it still.
2: Yeah, well I, I just think that um Florida State obviously in this case valued getting a back in for the spring over waiting and maybe getting a more qualified or productive uh, running back uh, later on maybe to enroll in like the summer months. You know, FSU is kind of at a disadvantage when it comes to spring enrollment because a lot of the, you know, more heralded prospects in the transfer portal entered Within the last, you know, month or so, and FSU started classes on January fifth. You know, that's pretty early when you compare to some of these schools, like Tennessee. I think starts like um, either this week or next week. So they have a limited window where they can actually get prospects in, and I'm, and that's why I kind of understand why they wanted to get a, a running back in for the spring, and you know, especially a guy like Benson who's had severe injury history. You want to get him in for the spring and see how he runs uh, within the offense before, you know, it's just a culture shock and you get him in for the summer and all you get is, uh, you know, training camp and then the season. Um, so from that from that aspect, I get why they want to do it. But I just, you know, this specific, like, player, I don't understand fully because, you know, it's Florida State. They've had pretty good production uh, at running back in, even under Mike Norvell and – the struggles that have been going on the past couple of years. Um, you know, Jay Sean Corbin is going to become an NFL draft prospect, uh, you know, coming out now. And I think, you know, Treshawn Ward being a walk on and being pretty productive for them this past season just, you know, goes to show that they can produce. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that maybe they can't sell that to a more productive back is worrisome. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm not a fan of the take,
1: yeah, and I think that's ultimately where I'm at too. Is I would feel a lot better with someone. I'm not expecting like for for Travis Die. Like I'm not expecting. I think that's unrealistic for FSU to go all in someone like that. 1,300 yard rusher. Probably going to go to a either more ready made uh, college football playoff contender or uh, just a more appealing situation. Uh, maybe like a like a team with a fresh start. like like USC with Lincoln Riley's offense is something that's been he's been tied to. Uh, that would make sense. So, and he's a, he's a West Coast kid. So, like, yeah, like a elite all conference guy. Probably unrealistic, but someone that doesn't have quite the baggage with the injury concerns and, and has a little bit more production. I think your Florida State you could aim for a little bit. I will say, like, I do think there's a spot for nuance here. Uh, I could see where the staff is intrigued with him. Uh, this is a risk reward type of take. He is someone that the staff liked. A good deal with Mike Norvell. Uh, Tony Tokars was on this Memphis staff. Uh, Coach Cooper was on that Memphis staff as well, I believe, and I'm sure you know David Johnson had famili- familiarity with him as well in the recruiting process, given that he's a kid from from Mississippi. And, and Yak was at Memphis and, and then Tennessee, so it would have been the recruiting footprint. Uh, Marcus Woodson, too, I'd imagine, would have had some familiarity as a mem- uh, Memphis as a Mississippi guy. Memphis really did like him when Mike Norvell was there. Uh, They like collectively as a staff that this guy and a lot of guys on the staff like him too. Like currently, the current values isn't like say with DJ Williams, where I think it was a Kenny Dillingham leading the charge and have familiarity with them, and it was kind of isolated familiarity. Uh, This is a collective group take where where I think multiple people on the staff like him, and they like that he's a big six foot two hundred fifteen pound running back with when he's healthy plus athleticism. Was someone who ran a, a verified sub four five forty. Uh, even if you want to call foul on the forty yard dash testing and add a, a tenth of a second to it, okay, he's 215 pounds in high school running a four six forty. Okay, that's that's fine. 35 inch vertical jump, which would show some explosiveness. Uh, a sub 11 second hundred yard dash or hundred meter dash in high school, those, those are all good testing numbers. You watch his film, yeah, he beats up on. on on some scrawny kids from middle classification in Mississippi. It's not small school football, though. It's 4A in Mississippi. He's just a big kid who runs hard and and beats up guys. He's got decent speed. Uh, Nick takes a little while to get going, but they like that he catches the ball well out of the backfield. You see that in his highlights. He catches the ball downfield. I mean, so there's a lot. Like, he could be a complete back if he gets healthy and if his skill set does translate over as projected, as they're projected, to the college level those are ifs those are question marks but I I think that's the appeal Zach is like there is upside to be a a RB1 type of guy if if healthy
2: yeah I can definitely see it Um, from everyone everything that I've heard everyone in the Oregon program had thought really really highly of him I just pulled up an article um, literally of Travis Dye and uh, he told I think it was our Oregon site that Um, here's a quote He says Trey has a huge future here I think he's going to be one of the greatest to ever come through here he's very powerful very fast very smart and when you put all those together you're going to have a great football player Um, so obviously I mean we've even heard in in recent days that you know a lot of the coaching staff at Oregon the previous staff Mario Cristobal's staff was really high on him um, coming out and I think uh, for that reason there is reason for optimism Uh, if you know there isn't any issues with his leg, uh, you know, going forward or knee or whatever. Um, and I think the, no, the,
1: the knee the knee is on the leg, so you yeah, are correct. I
2: wanted yeah. to be more specific so people weren't, you know,
1: thank speculating.
2: you speculating. But uh, but I think yeah, uh, I could see it. Um, but just the, considering the circumstances, that's why I'm, I'm going with the Sunom because I just think that FSU could do better and doesn't have to rely so much on high risk, high reward
1: i'm with you i agree uh, i think we're a kind of similar mindset you know what they say zach when in doubt so it out
2: it's true no one's ever said that
1: i just did now all right zach thanks for doing this so quickly i'm going to take a quick commercial break on the other side I'm going to have jason Beatty, ucf beat writer for the orlando sentinel come on and and talk a little tatum bethune action uh basically we're gonna have some different people come on the next couple of weeks here to talk about some of the transfers you know guys who've who've covered these players in college or or seen them from a different perspective than say Zach and I would. So anyways, I'll be back right after the commercial break. Zach, thanks for joining me. Jason Beattie on the other side.
0: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Joining me now, as promised, is Jason Beatty with the Orlando Sentinel. Jason, I had to almost stumbled on it again, uh, even though you warned me about it right before the show. Jason is with the Orlando Sentinel now. Uh, you've heard him before here on the bench when he was with our 24-7 UCF site. Jason, welcome. Congrats on, on just, you know, keep moving up the journalism ranks. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you and happy for you.
0: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I made the switch over in August. So I got a full season under my belt at the Orlando Sentinel. And uh, it's just, it just been great. I, I love working for a newspaper again. Um, I did some internships there when I was in college. And this has been everything I
1: wanted and more. Yeah, you've got to cover a national championship. Do you like the mug that I'm drinking out of right oh, now? That's, that's,
0: that's a great mug. Mm. Yeah, so I was at 24-7 for those for the glory years, uh, which that which seem to be further and further away from, from where we are now. But um, yeah, it's, it's been really great.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I mean, you know, FSU fans know too, you know, this glory years come and go, but you know, everything's cyclical. It, it will return to some point. So uh, enough about our UCF backgrounds and love for UCF because <laughs> I, I can I can feel my listeners tuning out now and saying how much they hate me, which, you know, that that does happen sometimes. But the reason you're on is is applicable to uh, UCF coverage as it relates to FSU because FSU got a really nice linebacker in the portal earlier this month from UCF. That is Tatum Bethune. A multi year starter for the night, someone who's super productive. So, I brought Jason on to talk a little bit about Tatum Bethune and what FSU is getting from him. So, let's just start off, Jason. I guess, what what were your thoughts on covering Tatum the last few years as a person and and as a player generally?
0: Yeah, he was great. Um, You know, I I really liked talking with him a lot. He was always pretty honest. Um, I mean, we talked with him, um, you know, four or five times this season. Like, generally, there are some guys that you consistently get that are just, you know, better with the media, more comfortable. Um, And he was one of those guys that, you know, seemed to always be up on the podium, um, you know, whether it was a win or a loss. uh, He was pretty honest. I mean, I remember, you know, just thinking back to this past season when UCF lost at Navy, um, which was one of their worst losses this year. uh, Probably probably about really bad loss last few years, too. Yeah. Uh, You know, it was one of Navy's only few wins this year. Uh, We talked with Tatum afterwards and, and they they couldn't tackle. I mean, they couldn't stop the triple option of Navy, which and that would be fine if it was Navy of the past, but this year's Navy, uh, you know, that they should have been able to slow them down. But, and Tatum was really honest, brutally honest, just said, you know, we got to play better and, and it starts with me. And, uh, you know, he didn't hold anything back Um, and just talking with him over the years and getting to know him. I really like talking with him. Uh, I I think he's going to be great with you guys up in Tallahassee, whenever you guys do talk with him. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, You know, as a player, I I think he really did love UCF. Like, I'll I'll start from the jump just to make it really clear. Like, I think you guys wrote a little bit, little bit about this. But if you hadn't, you know, this is a really difficult decision for Tatum not to transfer to not to transfer FSU, but to actually enter the portal. Um, You know, we we spoke with him. You know, usually when guys are going to transfer or not transfer or you know, maybe they're going to leave the team and, and the staff kind of knows that's going to happen. We don't generally talk with those guys. Like the communication staff will kind of, you know, take him out of the limelight a little bit. And we talked potato Tatum after the gas for the bowl. Um, you know, so that was something. And then he entered the portal like within the week. So that was something I think maybe he kept really close to himself. Maybe a few coaches knew it was going to happen, but uh, it, it was it was kept pretty quiet. And even up until the point he made the decision, um, you know, I heard a lot about how it was a really difficult decision because he he really did love UCF. and I think he still does love UCF uh, and the fan base and how they treated him. And, um, you know, a, as a player, he was, you know, just really, really strong at linebacker for UCF. Uh, he was their best linebacker this past season, over 100 tackles, uh, just, just really consistent guy. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn came in and added Bryson Armstrong from the FCS level who kind of came in and. Uh, became a starter as well. He was an All American, and, and Tatum learned to play alongside him and uh, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste and uh, Eric Gilliard, eventually who also transferred. Uh, but those three guys, Gilliard, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, and and Tatum, those are all Randy Shannon recruits from South Florida. Um, you know, they they grew up playing high school football together, and and eventually all came to UCF, um, and they were both all in their third year. Um, so they they had a really good relationship and at that linebacker position, um, you know, that was one of the positions the last couple of years you didn't have to worry a whole much about.
1: So you, you mentioned Tatum at the end of the Gasparilla bowl. I remember that interview and what a way to go out. Like maybe to know at that time that he was, that was the last game, but, uh, he seemed to have a knack Jason for playing his best in big spots, the Louisville game. He didn't play the whole game, but he played really well when he did Florida, obviously. So, so I guess what were Tatum's strengths and specifically like what did he do in big games that maybe stood out to you?
0: Yeah, I just think he stepped up, like you said, in the, in the big moments. Um, You know, that Louisville game was so tough because so many guys went down for UCF, not just on offense, but on defense, Ricky Barber, one of their better defensive tackles. uh, You know, he had a knee injury that game and um, this whole season they dealt with injuries and eventually a guy I just mentioned, Bryson Armstrong, he went down, I think the third, third or fourth, the last game of the season uh, with the torn ACL and Tatum. I think he was just really consistent. Like even though he did step up in the big, big time moments, he wasn't boom or bust. Like he would. Oh, like you looked at his stat sheet. I think he, I, you know, maybe I'm making this up, but he consistently had like 10 or 12 tackles, like almost every single game. And and if he wasn't UCF's leading tackler, that that was pretty rare. um And and then he would step up in the big games, like. He, he just loved to play football, and he still does love to play football, obviously. Um, but I think he just really, you know, knew when he had to give it his all for sure.
1: From a skill set perspective, uh, I guess what can FSU fans expect in terms of strengths, like athletically what he does well, uh, and then I guess maybe weaknesses as well, things that, that might prohibit him from, or that you could see possibly prohibiting him uh, somewhat at the Power 5 level?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll mention that jump from G5 to Power 5 at first when, when the rumors were starting that you know maybe he would be entering the portal, maybe not. I went to the FSU board, and some people were like, didn't we already kind of get the UCF? Didn't we go through the UCF transfer uh, <laughs> situation already? But these, these past two guys weren't that great. And I'll be perfectly clear, you know, Tatum did go through some minor injuries, and he played hurt, um, but he still was UCF's leading tackler, over 100 tackles, like I mentioned um you know I, I don't i wouldn't say he's the fastest guy um but he definitely does have a knack for getting to the football and, and and i think he he was pretty good at you know not necessarily forcing fumbles but jumping on the ball and and just being over there in the middle of the field and um you know but i i think he's a really good linebacker like i don't think there's going to be this issue of oh well, he he came from ucf and he was playing group of five level football like um you know, he, he developed into a really good football player at UCF for sure.
1: Yeah. The, the no. yeah. The UCF to FSU pipeline, <laughs> uh, a little unfair because McKenzie Milton just wasn't himself. And, you know, Brandon Moore wasn't himself. Also wasn't took, himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. FSU rolled the dice with two guys who were coming off injuries to help out culturally and hope that they could upgrade positions. And it, it didn't work out. It obviously backfired in, in that regard. So it is what but, it is. But yeah, I mean, Tatum isn't injured. Right? Yeah, he's no.
0: Not, Tatum's not injured. He's 100% healthy. Uh, he missed one game earlier this season, but he still averaged like nine tackles, almost 10 tackles a game. Um, I, he's he's healthy. He's an elite, and I'm maybe maybe elite for UCF, I guess. Um, I'll be curious to see how it translates, but I, I don't really think there's going to be much of a problem. Um, you know, he he he's been pretty vocal on social media saying he wants respect and things like that, and uh, I think he's ready to prove himself at at FSU.
1: Is that why you think he ultimately decided? Because Miami was in the mix too, FSU, Miami. Do you think that's why he decided to leave UCF, was to, to try his, himself at that the highest level?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, if, if he had stayed at UCF another year for his fourth and senior year and entered the draft and had a great season, would he not have got drafted? You know, we've seen plenty of UCF players over the years get drafted. I mean, look, you, if you play D2 football or FCS, you know, they're going to find you. If you're good enough, right. you're going to get drafted. I don't you know, UCF isn't living under a rock. Um, you know, but at the same time, I I, I don't even think it had to do with where he wanted to go. I, I, I think really just the connection you have with the new UCF coaching staff, you know, Travis Williams coming in, Gus Malzon, obviously I mentioned earlier. Um, I just I don't think it was the strongest connection. And when you play for Randy Shannon for three years and um and you're from Miami and he loves Miami kids. We talked about this before we started recording a little bit. Um, I, I just think it was a comfort level thing. I'm not saying he was uncomfortable or couldn't have played next season at UCF, but, um, you know, that's what happens all the time. It, it, you know, it's all about relationships nowadays, especially in the transfer portal. We've seen it time and time again. You know, look at Miami, Mario Cristobal, look at all the Oregon guys going there and, and uh, you know, it happens everywhere. So I don't, I don't necessarily think he was – um not happy the fact that he was like quote-unquote stuck at UCF and wasn't going to get noticed I think he just wanted to go play for Randy Shannon again we'll get, we'll <laughs> get into my thoughts
1: <laughs> we'll get into Randy and in that dynamic no I mean that that does make sense uh, I yeah, and I'm not certainly one who's going to uh, undermine UCF or, or the program and, and play at the G5 level because yeah there's plenty of, of high-end talented guys I was just curious if he wanted to try his hand at like say oh, I want to go up against Clemson and, and see what happens I want to go up against you know uh, North Carolina Notre Dame whatever but, but we've had some debate on this podcast Jason about uh, about whether Tatum's going to be a full-time starter or not. I think, yes, that's why you bring him in. I think his skill set and just his production at UCF dictates, like, yes, FSU needs help and upgrade at linebacker. They need stability there. They need someone they can keep on the field for all three downs. I think Tatum kind of fits that role to help out there. Josh was a little bit more skeptical, saying, like, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts just having seen him play for three years, having seen him go against top tier G five teams and power five programs as well. Uh, is, is Tatum Bethune in your estimation, a starting caliber linebacker at the P five level?
0: I don't know. I, I'm Ooh. kind of, flip. I don't know. Ooh. I know that doesn't, I'm not saying he's not, or, or could not be. I think he has to, you know, maybe put on a little bit more muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. It's not that he's small, but I think, I just think there's a little bit more of development that has to come. Um, And I know he's in year four of college and, you know, how much more can you develop? But I I think a full-time starter, like consistently, I'll go as far as saying he's going to like, I think fans sometimes get too hung up on starting, like unless it's like the starting quarterback and and maybe depends on how the coaches rotate guys. I don't know exactly if FSU uses a lot of linebacker or defensive lineman, like Josh Heupel, and the previous staff would rotate the defensive line this year. We didn't see the defensive line rotate a whole lot at all. Um, I I think he's going to be in that constant rotation of guys. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't start every single game, but he's definitely going to be a contributor. And I think he could work his way to becoming that guy.
1: I'm pulling up Tatum's snap count from last season at UCF. He was at 641 snaps. So for context, uh, FSU's linebackers, starting linebackers, were Kalen Deloach and DJ Lundy. Uh, and Deloach played pretty well, at the, especially by the end of the year. He was kind of coming into zone as a first-time starter. Uh, and Lundy is just kind of limited. It's like a, he's a thumper inside, but not a, a great space player, very limited in that regard currently. Deloach had 685 snaps, Lundy 571. And then Amari Gaynor was the third linebacker, Was kind of like a sub-package guy, and they would rotate him inside some, too, at 404. So I... I think ultimately, Jason, it's like what you're trying to do is, yeah, is, is Tatum going to be a 600 snap guy at or FSU? More of like a
0: 450, 500 guy.
1: I think what they want to do ideally is get Kalen and Lundy's, you know, Kalen being at for 685 is excessive. That that was a lot for a young guy. Not to be on the field that much. So if you can get him down to 550, keep DJ Lundy where he's at, maybe lower him a little bit and then have Tatum in for 500 snaps or so. Uh, and have Mark Gainer in the mix. And you all of a sudden have a rotation where you're, you're able to use guys in their best moments. And I don't,
0: if you were to look at all 600 and whatever snaps of Tatum, you know, are they all quality snaps? I'm not sure. I mean, at one, after four or five games, Eric Gilliard, another linebacker who had been starting previously kind of got lost in the rotation, didn't play as much. And then, like I mentioned, Bryson tore his ACL. So Tatum had to play that much because they didn't have any other guys behind him. you know? So I, I think it's, I think it, is a quality that he can, can provide that he's going to play a lot of football, but is he going to be number one linebacker? I don't, I don't think
1: so, but we'll see. Um, Once again, Josh Newberg is right. What else is (laughs) new? Uh, All right. So let's talk about real, real quick, Randy Shannon, uh, someone who you covered for multiple years at UCF. He was promoted as an analyst at FSU from this past season to uh, Co defensive coordinator. I think it's more of a working title, more so linebacker coach, but someone that this staff valued quite a bit with his his uh, just kind of confidence level and, and just being kind of a, a wise, uh, like, wizard of defense. Like he's just been around for a while, had a calming presence. Norvell really trusted Randy and his judgment. He worked well with Adam Fuller, so that's why Randy gets promoted to be the linebacker coach. Uh, Jason, what did you see with Randy during his time at UCF when he was the defensive coordinator and just the general interactions with, with Randy?
0: Yeah, and he was defensive coordinator at UCF, so he was you know calling the shots on defense. He wasn't you know it wasn't a title for him. It was um, his.
1: It was his defense. And I have it to was say, his I, defense. As a UCF fan who has you know text threads with other UCF fans, they. Thought that Randy, correct me if I'm wrong here, they thought the Randy game plans going in. This is just such a fan thing, too. And, and I'm guilty right. of it. The game plan, we're like, oh, this isn't a good game plan, but the second half adjustments are great because the, the defense always looked good in the second half.
0: I don't think that's too much of a conspiracy theory. Well. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he plans and prepares, but, you know, it did seem more often than not, second half, Randy Shannon was just a, a, a fantastic coach. And, and he delivered a lot of wins over the years for UCF because of that. Um, you know, I, I think as a person, he was really interesting to cover. Um, you know, we would only talk with him every two or three months. Like that was in the UCF thing. It's a little different now under Gus Malzahn and who we get, um, availability, available to us. Um, but under Josh Heibel, the way it worked was, you know, we would get Josh on Monday and Josh on Thursday and then Tuesday and Wednesday, one of those days would be offensive coordinator or offensive coach. And then the other day would be defensive coordinator defensive coach well that schedule of sorts did not deal with Randy shannon we would get Randy shannon in august and he would say to us once and he was half joking I'll see you in thanks I'll see you around Thanksgiving and we wouldn't <laughs> talk with him till the end of the season uh and you know Randy was one of those guys where he would you have to even if you're just you know, making up questions, you'd have to get him talking for more than five minutes because you, w- what you would use, wouldn't be until after that five-minute mark of talking with him. Like eventually, you would get the goods from him, and he'd give you some solid information about development of guys or or whatever. Um, but I, I think he's a well-respected coach in the state of Florida. Um, he's making the Florida tour. Uh, I don't know if there's any other coaches that can say they've coached at Miami, Florida, UCF, and FSU. The Power of Four. I mean the power of the Big Four. The big Four. Um, I, I don't know if I, is there anyone else that can say that. I don't know of anyone else that, not can to say my that.
1: knowledge, off the top. Uh, of my and knowledge.
0: not just be on the staff, like as a you know analyst, but like to have a a real impact on the program, whether it's a defensive coordinator, or head coach, or whatever it may be, or um, you know interim coach. Um, you know, because of that, I, I get why Mac Novell wants to have him on his staff. Like he knows a lot of guys and he knows a lot of people in the state of Florida, and um, you know we we also talked about this earlier. He loves the Miami kids and recruiting Miami. And um, you know, you look at the defense that UCF has and has had the main contributors were Randy Shannon's recruits. Uh, you know, those guys were contributing here and there. Um, you know, and he, he, you look at, you know, I'll give you a better example instead of the linebacker group. Cause you look at, I, mean, I mentioned the three linebackers, Eric Giliard transferred out the season to Kansas. Tatum Bethune is now transferring out and he's at FSU and then they have um, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste who's still there but you look at the secondary uh, you know Quadric Bullard Corey Thornton uh, you know some of those guys that are are younger guys those are all his recruits as well like those are guys from South Florida that are um, you know starting the secondary for UCF now they're in their second or third year entering their third year next year Um, so he, he definitely did have a knack for recruiting and I get why Mike Norvell wanted him on his staff
1: All and right. Norvell
0: also lost to him a couple times. So,
1: Oh, wow. Someone's keeping score there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. I promised, I said, I, before we start recording, it's like, yeah, five, 10 minutes. We're almost going up to 20 here. Um, which it is happens. good. It means you were interesting and we had fun, uh, uh undersell overdeliver, story of my life. Jason, you want to let the folks know where they can find your work, uh, Twitter account. I have it pulled up here, but you, you i'll let you do it you yeah yourself. sure you're a big you
0: boy orland dot <laughs> <laughs> sentinel.com always um you know if you want to follow me specifically at the real bd on twitter uh daily ucf content coming out uh i got a big visit weekend coming up at the end of the month um and i think you guys are going to really like tatum bethune he did one thing fsu didn't do this past season that's oh uh,
1: don't you uh, say it don't you say oh, it Oh, uh, <laughs> all right get out of here sorry that i called you a big boy that was weird <laughs> thank you thank you